I want to preach a message tonight uh, that I've entitled Pit Stop. Um, it's a truth of everybody that's ever lived. Uh, you're going to have some pits that come your way in life. And I'm going to have some pits. If you're breathing, you're going to have sooner or later in your life a situation to come your way. And I just want to be an encouragement tonight. I uh, just want to share some thoughts that I've pinned down that I believe that God can change our lives. I don't stand here a man tonight worthy to speak from this podium. I certainly don't have life together and don't have the tiger by the tail. But I know no matter what comes into our lives, whether we feel like we got it together, no matter how we go through it, God's still victorious and God's still there to help us through it. And praise God, we got a God that we can call on in a time of need. And I believe tonight He's willing. I believe tonight He's able to help us through any challenge that comes our way. Just imagine for a moment that you're leading the race. Everything's going your way. And you fought your way to the front of the pack. Your car's never ran better. You feel that this is your race to win. So lap after lap, everything is working perfectly. When all of a sudden over your radio, you hear your crew chief, you hear your crew chief call. And he says, it's time to come into the pit. And for the driver of that lead car, this is one of the toughest times during the race. It's never an easy decision for the crew chief either. But without that pit stop, the chief knows that there is no chance for his driver to finish the race, much less win the race. You see, a pit stop for the short term, it'll take the driver out of first place and it'll send him to the back of the pack often. But late in the race, because of his faith in the crew chief, it pays off. And those new tires, that fresh fuel, and those frame adjustments give him exactly what he needs to finish the race strong and oftentimes win the race because of that pit stop. Pit stop Christians, that's what we are tonight. And sometimes we can't see it in God's economy. We can't understand why everything is going so good for us. Why have I got to get in a pit and stop the race? And only God knows sometimes. And so a pit stop Christian, that's what we are. And going through this life, sometimes with the race in the bag, and everything's going well with our job, all is well with our marriage. We're finally beginning to save some money and put back for a rainy day, and we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. We fought hard to get here, when all of a sudden, out of nowhere, our world seems to come to a screeching halt, all because we've been called into a pit. I don't believe tonight that I'm talking to a bunch of people that's never been in a pit. And I believe everybody in this room, under the sound of my voice, and me included, has had that exact scenario in your life where everything's going great and all of a sudden to be sideswiped by something that comes into your life and changes everything. And God allows adversity to come into our lives for particular reasons. We see it all the time in our church. Brothers and sisters in Christ cruising along, in what seems like the prime of their lives, only to be called into the pit. Why has it happened? How will I ever get back to where I was? Will life ever be the same for me? How can this one work out for my good and for God's glory? God, I don't understand how this pit is going to propel me. Uh, take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 37. I want to look at some scriptures tonight that I believe the Word of God has the power to change us tonight. I believe if 
Balaam's donkey could talk to him and talk some sense into him. And I believe God can use this dummy right here tonight because it's his word and not the mouthpiece. In Genesis chapter 37, in verse number 24, I want to talk to you a few minutes tonight about the life of Joseph. Joseph had everything going for him. He had the colorful coat. He had the father that loved him. He was a young man that was respectable. And in the scriptures, the Bible, if you study the scriptures, you will see that there is no recorded incident from Genesis 37 to Genesis chapter 50 where Joseph ever dipped his colors and committed a sin. Did he sin? Yes, he was a man. Did he fail? Yes, he was in the flesh. But God chose not to record it for some reason. And I believe if you'll study the book of Genesis chapter 37 through 50 with the mindset of I'm looking at a type of Christ in Joseph, you'll see so many pictures of Christ through this young man's life. Through this young man's life, it will amaze you. And in Genesis chapter 37, verse number 24, it says, They took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty, and there was no water in it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word tonight. I thank you for the power it has to change our lives. Lord, I thank you tonight that we have the honor to get around it and share some thoughts and gain some insight and and even get some hope, Lord, throughout the stretches of life where it seems difficult and tough. Lord, I pray that again, through this young man, Joseph, that you'll inspire us. I pray you'll encourage us along the way. Use your word to do it, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Joseph had ten brothers. They hated his guts. I don't know how else to put it. They despised him. They loathed him. They hated the sight of him coming. They hated to hear about his dreams. Because see, he had a vision in life. He wasn't a go-nowhere person. He was going somewhere in life, and he wasn't ashamed of, of where God was going to take him one day. And, and he shared his dreams and his visions, and because of it, his brothers, they hated him. They despised him. They rejected him. They conspired how to get rid of him and ultimately wanted him dead and out of their lives completely. See, Joseph had a mixed family. He had, in his family, there were four mothers. There were uh, Rachel and Leah, and then there were Bilhah and Zilpah, two handmaids. And from these four women came 12 children. And Joseph has one true brother out of the mix, and his name is Benjamin. These other 10 brothers, they've got mixed mothers. And in this broken family, for whatever reason, God chose to rest his spirit upon this young man and use this man throughout his life to change history as we know it. You take a close look at the wording in Genesis chapter 37, verse number 24, if you still have your Bible open. It says that Joseph was cast into the pit. That means they took Joseph by the arm and the leg after they beat up on him. And they're off in this far land of Dothan, way away from the safety of dad and mom. And they beat on him and they took this young man and the Bible says they cast him into the pit. Now that pit was possibly 15 to 20 feet deep with a three or four foot mouth opening on it, shaped like a pear on the inside, like a cistern to hold water in times of drought. And the Bible says they cast him into that pit. And it goes on to say the pit was empty. There wasn't anything in the bottom of it. There was no water in it. Now, I can only imagine that it hurt when Joseph hit the bottom. I don't think God chose to write that in there for no reason. 
And this deep pit with no cushion in the bottom of it, this young man hits the bottom of it, and I don't know what pain he suffered in those hours that follow. But I know he could hear his brothers up above. We're going to leave him in there and let him starve to death and let him die. We'll never have to see him again. And praise God for one of the brothers that said, no, let's don't leave him in there and let him die. And praise God for the Midianites that happened to be passing by because the brothers came up with another idea. They're headed to Egypt. And if we take our brother and we pull him up out of there and sell him to those folks, we'll never see him again. He'll be out of our lives forever. I imagine it hurt when he hit bottom. I imagine that there were struggles in there. I think he probably got thirsty in there after the fight that he had with his brothers, trying to just save his own life. Can you imagine the struggle and the, the energy that he must have used up in those moments before being cast into that pit? Now the sun's beginning to set and he's down there all alone. Isn't that like the pits of life when everything's going good and all of a sudden you find yourself in pain? It's just like that. Life took a turn and all of a sudden you're in the bottom of a pit. God allows those in our lives. And sometimes that's hard to understand. I think Joseph probably would agree with the psalmist in Psalm 63, 1. The psalmist said, O God, Thou art my God. Early will I seek Thee. My soul thirsteth for Thee. My flesh longeth for Thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. We're talking about the psalmist here that's close to God that had one of those stretches in his life. And that tells me we're all going to have these stretches where we are much like Joseph in the pits. Little did anybody know, including this Joseph himself, that 13 years later, that pit stop was preparing Joseph to finish strong late in the race. If you look at Genesis chapter 37 and verse 28, those Midianites didn't even know it. But they were not just drawing a young man out of that pit. They were drawing water out of that well. They weren't drawing a slave. They were literally drawing their own livelihood out of that well. Look at Genesis 37, 28. It says, Then there passed by Midianites, merchant men, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit. And they sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, and they brought Joseph into Egypt. Now that pit may have been empty and dry before Joseph went in it, but it became full of water when he hit the bottom. Life-giving water. And you'll understand in a few minutes, I believe. You see, God is going to use Joseph to satisfy every hungry and every thirsty person in the whole wide world. Not too far down the road. Nobody knew it that day. But that well was overflowing with life. That pit was full of millions and millions of pounds of grain. That pit was full of millions and millions of gallons of water. Those brothers have no idea what they just sold. On one day, in about 22 years from this very moment, they will come back to this hated brother, this pitted Christian, desperate for food and water. You see, and Joseph's 17 years old at this point. He's fixing to go through a 13-year span of being in a pit of life. And after that 13-year span, he's going to be called out by Pharaoh himself. And he's going to interpret a dream. And Pharaoh's going to make him the governor of the land. And, and Joseph's going to change everything. And everybody in the known world is going to have to come to him, including the Midianites that bought him, including the brothers that sold him. Every person will have to come to this man for food and water. If you fast forward 
You take a glimpse at the uh, new life of Joseph for just a moment when he was pitted. He's transported to Egypt and he's sold as a common slave on the auction block. He's bought by Potiphar and he's forced to be a slave for the next 11 years. He must completely learn a new language, a new culture, a new dress code, and from there he'll be lied about and falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. He'll be imprisoned for crimes that he had not committed. He'll spend at least a season in the dungeon and then he'll meet Pharaoh's butler who's in trouble himself who gets cast into prison. He'll interpret a dream for the butler. The butler will go back to work for Pharaoh and Joseph will simply say, remember me when you go back and tell him, I'm down here, I've been falsely accused and you can help me get out. And guess what the butler does? Forgets. He forgot to remember. And because the butler didn't help him out, Joseph spends two more full years in that prison house. Now, I don't think that's anything that really is... Um, we're not immune to that same thing happening to us. Some of you right now are in a long stretch of a challenge that happened one day in your life. And it seems like a cycle you can't get out of. And it's like we have to learn how to live again sometimes in this new normal because something's coming to our life. Doesn't that remind you, though, of what Joseph went through of Jesus? The one himself who had to endure the pit stop called earth? Hated and rejected by his own brothers, the Jewish nation? Sold by Judas for 30 pieces of silver? Matthew 27 and verse number 9 says, Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, And they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price of him that was valued, whom they of the children of Israel did value. The price of a slave is all they thought our Lord was worth. It's a parallel. It's a picture of Joseph is a picture of Christ. Judas was just like those brothers. He had no idea the value of what he had just sold. I'm telling you tonight, there's coming a dearth so bad for the land of Egypt and for the land of Canaan that every man, woman, boy, and girl in that land will have to go to Egypt. And they'll have to fall on their faces at the feet of Joseph, the one that they rejected, the one that they will now call Lord, because they have nothing. And they will beg for the very lives in search of a meal and some life-giving water. Romans 14, verse 10 and 11 says, But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. I think what got Joseph some of th through some of those stretches after he was cast in that pit and sold into slavery. He had had a dream so vivid in his mind that the sun and the moon and 11 stars would one day bow down and worship him. And he also knew that God had given the interpretation of that dream to him when he had the dream and woke up the next morning. And it meant that one day his father and his mother and his 11 brothers would come and bow down to him. Did he understand it all? No. Did he believe it? Yes. I think he never lost sight of it. And because he had that vision and he had that dream, he stayed true to the man of God that he was designed by God to be through it all. 
And sometimes you and I may not understand the problems of life. But God's given us His Word and He's given us certain promises in there that we can hold on to through the tough times of life and say there's going to come a day when the sun's going to rise again and I'm going to be okay. Joseph was 17 when he was cast in the pit. He was 30 years old when Pharaoh called him out of the prison one day. You imagine getting that call. Hey, Joseph. Hey, man, I don't understand it, but Pharaoh's called for you. I have no idea. What in the world could he want? I don't know, man. The Bible tells us that Joseph got up and shaved his face and changed his raiment. And from that moment on, he ain't going to wear them kind of clothes again. He don't know it. But he's never going to have to wear those clothes again. And he's going before Pharaoh. Isn't it something that Christ was 30 years old when he stood in public for the first time and began his ministry? I'm telling you, sentence after sentence after sentence, chapter after chapter in Genesis, you'll see Jesus all throughout it. As I said, the butler did remember Joseph because he got in trouble himself. Because Pharaoh had a dream. And he's asking the butler and everybody else, hey, you got to help me interpret this dream. Man, he tells them all about it, about the cows that come out real skinny. I mean, they're real fat, and then some cows come up behind them real lean, and the lean cows ate the fat cows, and after they ate them, it looked like they hadn't even ate them. They were still just as lean and skinny as they was before the meal. Talked about some corn the same way. And the butler's scratching his head like, I can't interpret that. Ding, 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 ding. But I know a man that can. And he calls for Joseph to come interpret the dream for Pharaoh himself. Joseph interprets the dream with no problems with the help of God. God allowed Joseph to be pitted for those 13 years just for this moment in time. Joseph had to be in that prison. Joseph had to be in that place for that butler to meet him and know him. And Joseph had to go through all those trials and those struggles to be called up to Pharaoh's house. I know some of you are in pits of life. But I also know some of you have gone through pits of life. And I know that you can get in a pit just like that. It can come on you as fast as you can snap your fingers. But I also know we can get out of the pits just as fast as you can snap your fingers too. Because you remember the day God gave you victory over that thing. You remember the day God moved in your situation and it happened so fast. And sometimes you struggle over things for years. I didn't mean to share it, but I will. I struggled over my daughter being paralyzed for like 12 years. I'm talking about not going nowhere spiritually struggling. I'm talking about shut down spiritually. Oh, I was still in church. I was still singing the choir, and I was still teaching Sunday school. But it hurt me so bad I couldn't really function properly, psychologically. And I, I'm, that happened that fast. We didn't know there was anything wrong with her till the moment she was born and saw it, and we knew we were in trouble. And from that moment on, for about the next 10 or 12 years, this boy right here was in big trouble. And I was in my office one day reading the Word of God, seeing where David went out and slew Goliath with a little old rock. And through that Scripture, God, somehow or another, whispered in my ear, Paul, you keep asking for your daughter to walk. You keep asking for your daughter to walk. You keep asking for your daughter to walk. All I want you to do is walk. You're the one paralyzed, not her. 
And God moved in that office in that moment like that and began to stir my soul, and I realized I wasn't walking with him like I should. I realized I wasn't walking the walk of a Christian like I should. And God healed my paralyzed legs again, and I got to walk again. In that moment, in that moment, I was called out of the prison and called into Pharaoh's house. I changed that raiment, that raiment and I haven't worn it since. You've got the same testimony, don't you? Didn't it happen like that in your life? Come on, somebody, you, you know the moment in your life when you were struggling and you felt like it was all over. And somehow or another, God moved across your heartstrings and changed everything just as quick as it went bad. It went good all, all of a sudden. That's just God showing up and showing you the pits of life are, are worth every minute of it on the other side because you gain so much knowledge and wisdom looking back on that stuff. And if nothing else... When you see somebody else going down into that same pit, you got experience. You know what it's like to hit that bottom. You know what it's like not to have any friends down there. You know what it's like not to have any water down there. You know what it's like not to be able to talk to anybody about that problem because nobody understands it. Nobody's there to hear it. And you can help that person that's going down that road where you went. And you can help them through that challenge of life. Genesis 41, 39 says, And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as God hath showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Thou shalt be over my house, and according unto thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it upon Joseph's hand and arrayed him in vestures of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him to ride in the second chariot which he had. And they cried before him, Bow the knee! And he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without thee shall no man lift up his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. Why did Pharaoh promote him? Why would Pharaoh put that ring and that garment and, and make everybody bow down to him as he walked through the streets? Because Joseph stood before Pharaoh and said, listen, there's a famine coming that this world has never seen. And it's only seven years away. We've got seven years to prepare for it. You need to get somebody going right now and start building some houses to store all the grain that we can get. You need to start getting some people to dig some cisterns in the ground. Let's start putting water in them now because time's wasting. I mean, seven years from this moment, it's going to be the worst the world has ever seen. And it's going to last seven full years. Pharaoh said, I'm looking out and I don't see a man any wiser than you. You sound like you know what all's got to be done. You sound like you've already got a plan in mind. Go to work, man. You are him. And Pharaoh all of a sudden appoints Joseph governor over all the land. It sounds like a fairy tale. I used to laugh at people that spit when they was preaching. I'm doing it now. I didn't laugh at the person preaching. I laughed at the person that got spit on. Oh, me. So, Joseph, you're the man. Get it done. Look at Genesis 41 and verse 49. I told you earlier, those Midianites drew Joseph up out of that well. They thought they were drawing a Hebrew slave out of that well. In fact, it wasn't worth but 20 pieces of silver. 
They went and they sold in the pot. I don't know how much they got. If they doubled the money, it still sold too cheap, don't you think? Because they didn't just draw a boy up out of that well. They drew a bunch of grain and they drew a bunch of water up out of there. This verse says, And Joseph gathered corn as the sand of the sea very much until he left numbering because it was without number. This man built so many storehouses to store grain in. They were numbering it all. They were counting every pound that went in these storehouses. It got to the point where it was so much they couldn't even keep count of it. I like this quote. I tell the children all the time on Wednesday nights, don't belittle the power that's contained within you because God's going to do something great with one or all of you if you'll allow Him to work through you. And this is the simple quote. Any man can count the seeds that are in an apple. No man can count the apples that are in a seed. When you hold an apple before you eat it, you realize within that apple there's ten seeds. You plant those seeds. Within about three years, you could service the world with the apples that come from those seeds. I'm telling you tonight, each one of us is full of seeds. That God only knows how much is contained in one of those seeds called potential. And you and I can walk out this door tonight and we can be defeated by the situations of life. And we can let it beat us down. And we can, we can spend 10 or 12 years acting like that. But the moment that we decide, God, you use me right where I'm at. And you'll find that that seed will start producing a plant. And when that plant starts producing fruit... And that fruit has its own seeds in it. God begins to multiply our situation, our life, and begins to bless others because of what we're toting around with our problems. Look at your pit like a planting spot for your seed. You see, Jesus said in John chapter 12, verse 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn or except a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies... It abides alone. But if it dies, it bringeth forth much fruit. So you and I have got to understand sometimes when we're thrown into that pit that seems so lonely, maybe, maybe it's just soil that God is putting us in for a few moments or a few weeks or a few months or a few years or a lifetime to be able to produce and bless others. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live, but Christ liveth in me. Genesis chapter 41, verse 54 through 57. The seven years of earth, dearth began to come, according as Joseph had said. And the dearth was in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. And when all the land of Egypt was famished, do you notice all the alls? In these verses. And when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said unto all the Egyptians, Go unto Joseph, what he saith to you do. And the famine was over all the face of the earth. And Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold unto the Egyptians. And the famine waxed sore in the land of Egypt. And all countries came into Egypt to Joseph for to buy corn because that the famine was so sore in all lands. This is a worldwide emergency. 
Nobody knew it was coming. Except about 22 years earlier, Joseph tried to tell some brothers through a vision and a dream he had, and they wouldn't have anything of it. Let me put it like this. Those brothers saw an empty pit with a nobody in the bottom of it. While God in His mercy and grace saw a well springing up with life-giving water. And that's what God saw in the bottom of that well. He saw brothers that would need food and water one day and He spared Joseph for them. What a picture of Jesus we see. In John chapter 7, verse number 37, it says, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. What do others see when they look in your pit? And I mean when they look in your pit. I mean when they look at our lives and examine us when we're going through difficulty. When, that, when our... When our road of life has took a detour and we find ourselves in a mess, others will be looking over into our pit at us. What are they seeing? Believe it or not, thirsty people are looking over into our pit. God may have pitted you or me for the sole purpose of quenching someone else's thirst later in life. Isaiah 41 verse 17 says, When the poor and meaty when the poor and needy seek water, and there is none, and their tongue faileth for thirst, I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers and high places and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. I can't think of a single saint in the Word of God as I've studied it through the years, and you, you have too, and, and maybe you know one and you can, you can tell me, I can't think of a single one that didn't go through a pit stop in their life. God chose to record those problems that they went through to get us to the victories that they would win to show us that it's possible to go through a hard stretch of life and we can come out of it on the other side if we'll keep the faith. For 20 pieces of silver, the Midianites bought enough water and grain to feed everybody in Egypt and the surrounding territories to last through a seven-year famine. When you, are dry and in the bottom of your, when you are dry and thirsty in the bottom of your pit, and your life appears worth just 20 pieces of silver, remember this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power of God, that the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I want to finish with a, an illustration or a, 
just an experience that we had. Tim, if you can come on up if, you, if you're in here and go ahead and start our invitation time. The altar's open tonight. Uh, I don't know how the Lord may or may not have worked in your life through this simple message. And I'll share something that I haven't shared with, with a whole lot of people. Uh, two years ago, we had a funeral for our granddaughter, second child that we've, second grandchild that we've lost to death. And as we were at the funeral, my wife's family was all there. And I, you all know from experience that God's grace carries you through those times. And it's not any strength of yours or mine or anybody else's that's a child of God. It's, it's all His strength that gets you through those moments. And we all had cheery faces and we were all smiling and we were taking people over to look at this beautiful child and, and talk about what she may be doing in heaven. And it was all sincere. It was not fake it till you can make it. It was just truly a heavenly experience. And you all have experience, so you know what I'm saying. And uh, we were up to that moment we were as broken as a broken person can be. And you've been broken in half, so you understand that too. When we walked in that funeral home, everything changed. It was a beautiful day. It was a wonderful experience. My wife's father walked over to me. He said, Paul, I don't know what you got. You're an amazing man. I'm telling you right now, I'm sharing this to you with some, some, some brokenness because I know who I am. And if you get me alone and talk to me, I'll tell you who I am. I'm a nobody. I'm an introvert. I'm worthless. And that's who I believe I am. And that's a shame that I feel like that about myself, and I'll just be honest about that too, but that's how I feel about it. And I said, Roger, man, I'm, I'm nothing. It's God that's getting us through these moments. He said, look at your family, man. Everybody's okay. I said, Roger, they're not okay. We're all broken in half. But God's given us strength to get through this thing. And he sat back over there. He couldn't walk up to the casket. He just broke. We went out to the graveside and Put this beautiful child in the ground. and It's impossible not to be broken in those moments, but still, Alex stood up and spoke at his own daughter's funeral. pastor preached a wonderful message. We all went to the house. Alex and Leslie Ann and myself and my wife are sitting on the back porch just reminiscing about all the events of this pit that all of a sudden, you know, everything's going to be all right. We're going to have a beautiful granddaughter. I mean, everything's going to be fine to the next moment at 4.30 that morning. Everything's gone in just a moment of time. And it's just, you know, you know how it happens. We're all sitting on the back porch and we're trying to make sense of this day. Phone rings and my wife answers it. She don't say a whole lot. She just says, no way. Uh-uh. I don't believe it. And we're all like, surely not something else on this day. We can't take another heartbreak. She said, y'all ain't going to believe it. My daddy just got saved. She said they left the funeral. And on the way home, Donnie Benefield, the pastor of Grace Baptist Church, is my wife's uncle and her brother Roger, said, your dad, he said my dad got so broke up on the way home, he got uncontrolled uh, beside himself. And Donnie pulled over and said, Roger, we got, to, we got to talk about this. What in the world's going on? Do you need to be saved? And Roger said, yes. Right there on the side of the road on the way home, Roger bowed his head and asked the Lord to come into his heart and save his soul. We looked at each other and said, we've been praying for this man for years. Mandy looked at me and I looked at her and she said, we got to prove it. I said, what do you mean? She said, we're going out there right now. 
we all piled in the minivan. Leslie Ann and Alex and Paul and Mandy. And we drove out to Roger's house and walked in there and said, Roger, is it true? Did you get saved? He said, I got saved. I'm telling you tonight. It ain't your power and it ain't my power. You feel like I do about yourself. I guarantee if I went ahead and asked every one of you, you feel like you're worthless. You feel like you're weak. You feel like you're a nobody. If that's your honest, you know what I mean? And we are. But the strength of God can move on us in times of life when we've been pitted and we become something supernatural. And through those moments, we get called up to Pharaoh's house for some reason only known to God because others around us need what we got. And if we dip our colors, listen, I could have easily walked in that funeral home a broken man and sat around and wept and cried just like everybody else and my wife and my daughter and son-in-law as well. And I'm not sure that Roger would have got saved that day had he not seen something different in somebody's life. I don't know what we're going through tonight. I have no idea what you're going through. It's none of my business. But the Holy Spirit does. And if He moved across your heartstrings and you're right in the middle of it and you can't figure out a way out, I just want to ask you not just come down here and say, God, I don't understand it. I can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. It doesn't seem like it's going to leave my life. And I don't know what to do. Ask Him to help you sleep tonight with this idea in mind. The sun's coming up tomorrow. And tomorrow we'll start a new chapter for our lives. And sometimes when you're reading God's Word, it looks like you're ending chapter 37 in Genesis with Joseph going down to Egypt and a go-nowhere life, a go-nowhere situation where he's going to be a slave the rest of his life. But read the next chapter and it starts over again. Tomorrow morning is a new chapter for every one of us. And God's already got it written in His own written in His own economy. He knows what tomorrow holds when we don't. Can you got something to sing, brother? The altar's open tonight. Let God do something in your life. Hey, if you come out of one of those pits and you've seen what victory tastes like. It's a good opportunity to come down here and say, God, I've told everybody else how good it was to come out of that, but I forgot to stop and tell you thank you. And sometimes we're guilty like the butler was. We got out of our prison, but we forgot to say thank you. God's moved in your life. Can't think of a better moment in time to say thank you. I also want to challenge us tonight. Lately I've been looking